0: you're in a series about work and that's we call this series whatever you do all right so one of the reasons we wanted to talk about work as a church is because it's what we right we spend about 60 plus percent of our time awake during the week 60 plus percent of that is spent doing what say it out loud work that's exactly right. And if you're a you know, if you're a full-time caregiver whether that's to children or uh, you know, aging adults or whatever the case is or maybe you've got a job at a half, you've got a job at a second job like maybe now you're entering 90, 90 plus percent of your week that you're awake is devoted to work. And we believe that God has something to say about how we work and the way we approach our work, and so uh, last week I'll give you a few slides that uh, Chris kicked us off last week, talking about just a definition of work: exertion or effort to produce or accomplish something. So it really can be anything. I was spending some time this morning in between services with someone who's you know semi-retired, and all of their work is volunteering. All of their working is volunteering at nursing homes and doing some other things. So, but that's still work, right? Nod your head. You with me? Yeah, that's still work. And we talked last week and basically said that our purpose and passions will reframe how we view our work. And maybe that's again, you might have a a, a different way of looking at work, that's fine, but we want to kind of talk about this from the aspect of two things. What is the purpose and what is the passion? And allow those two things to help reframe maybe how we view work, especially in light of how God wants us. Of you work, And last week, Chris kicked it off, giving us the overall purpose, the overall purpose that we understand that there's a purpose that we bring to our work, and that is our primary aim, to know God and to make Him known. That's our purpose right no matter what you do whether you're a doctor or a lawyer no matter whether you're you know you you fill out tps reports all day long you know you make widgets you know you you're you're an administrator you're an administrative assistant like it doesn't really matter it doesn't matter what you do what matters is that you know when we understand our passions and our purposes uh, our purpose our overall purpose is to know god and to make him known and it should give us some freedom and understanding of the fact that we're kind of free in the work that we do to do whatever we are passionate about Doing all right, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But here's our verse. This is our verse that kind of we're using throughout the series. is Colossians three seventeen. Colossians three seventeen is Paul is res- talking to the church, and he's saying in response to God, in response to you know we talked about ver- chapter one and two, like the supremacy of God, the the priority that God is in your life. In response to that, we are to live a certain way. We're to live and respond. And this is one of those verses. It says as we respond in whatever you do. Okay, whatever you do is a big, broad category. And then he goes on to say, in word or deed, right? Whether it's it's completely driven by action, like in work, like let's just say you make everything with your hands, you're a craftsman, like it's all by the sweat of your brow, it's all done by that, or it's in word. You lead others with words. You, you manage things. You know, it's, it's a lot more, uh, it's a lot more, you know, your voice is, is, if you lost your voice, you would have a very difficult doing your job, right? Like that's in word or deed, just trying to help you encompass. And whatever you do in every area, it says, I want you to do it all, like to give it all, to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I hope, that, again, this is a, a, something that actually encourages you. Because if you were raised like I was raised, you were, I was raised in and this is, I bring out some, some, sometimes I bring out my baggage from my past, because it's cheaper than counseling, so I bring it out to you, right? So sometimes I, I do that. Well, you know, I was raised in kind of a Baptist tradition, and what was, you? we used a phrase a lot in that tradition uh, called God's will. Raise your hand if you ever heard that in church growing up. Yeah, you know, you your grandmother made a set of God's will, right? And it was a big deal for us to make sure that we were always in the center perfect you know god's will of our life and it bled over into a lot of different areas who we married where we went to school what we were going to be doing you know what job we had and, and uh, sometimes you you know you you had a lot of pressure like do i take this job or do i take that job and you know what is god what is god's will for me to take this job or take that job and sometimes i feel like we put a lot more pressure on ourselves about what we're going to do than maybe god puts on us about what we're going to do and I'm not saying that God doesn't care about what you're going to do, but if you've lived any length of time in your life, careers change, job focus change, you know? I mean, you know, sometimes you're, you go from career to stay-at-home parent to, to back to career, back to sometimes a part-time thing. Sometimes you own your own business. Sometimes you work for somebody else. Sometimes you're working two jobs. Sometimes you're working one, and you're working more than you work when you work two jobs. You all with me? Okay? So th- I think we've put ourselves under a lot of pressure that God has this sort of one unique thing that he's wired us to do. And I'm, I'm just going to help free you this morning. that when, he, when Paul says, whatever you do, he really, I think, is responding to the fact that, that God is not as concerned. Not that he's not concerned, but not as concerned as maybe we are and the decisions we make of what we're doing. Because, again, we bring our purpose and passion to our work. Our work is not required to to give us purpose. Our work cannot, you know, bring passion to us. We bring our passion and our purpose to whatever we do, right? Whatever we do in word or deed, we're going to do it all. We're going to give it all to him. And so what I, where I want to take is, I love this quote, this is again something Chris brought up last week, is that there really is, no matter what you do, there really is no common job. There's no menial job and more important job. There's nothing, once you understand the purpose and passion we bring to it, there really is, and I love this phrase, no common act. This is from A.W. Tozer. It says, it's not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular, whether it's like important to God or not. It's why he does it. Let the motive, let the motive, or let this motive beat everything. Let a man sanctify the Lord God in his heart, and he can thereafter do no common act, right? He can do no common act. doesn't matter whether, again, you're doing your TPS reports, or you're building something, or you're arranging something, or you're organizing the snot out of something, you know? It doesn't matter what you do. The aspect is why you do it. And as a follower of Christ, as someone, I I believe that God wants you to pursue the passions of your heart. He wants you to pursue all that makes you come alive. He wants to do so within the context of the purpose that he's given you, with the context of the purpose purpose he's really given all of us. So last week, again, last week, if we talked about um, what we do, purposes, why we do what we do, then our passion really is how we do what we do. And that's what I want to spend just time talking about today. We're going to go back and kind of cap it again with purpose to help bring it all together. But today, I just want to focus on passion. What makes you come alive? And that's really, when I say passion, I want you to read this. Passion for me, go to my definition, it really is what you are uniquely gifted for, okay? This is kind of a combination of what you're uniquely gifted for and to and what makes you come alive, okay? That's what I mean by passion. All right. And our passion and our purpose, again, is what I really do believe kind of helps us work in our work in the way that honors God. And the way that, again, uh, Colossians 3 says it is not just doing it all like in his name, but doing it with a grateful heart and really honoring God in our work. But I really do believe part of that's our passion. And if you are maybe in a job right now and you don't feel a whole lot of passion in your job, there's probably several reasons. All right, there's probably several reasons. A couple of them might just be that you you might be in the wrong job. I'm not going to lie to you like you might you might be in the wrong job or you might just be in a bad job. Okay, let's just face it. There are bad bosses and there are bad work scenarios and there are bad work environments and, you know, and if you are stuck in one of those things, I'm sorry about that. Like there are those scenarios that happen. Maybe you're in a job that you have uh, kind of gotten yourself into because you have become accustomed to a certain way of life. You know, you've become accustomed to a certain lifestyle that you don't really want to give up. And so you're kind of, you force yourself to sort of do the job that you don't really enjoy and there is no passion in because you want all the things that come with that job and you, you, you just say, man, I'm not really feeling any passion. I just need the job. And sometimes, and I I say this sometimes, sometimes our lack of passion in job really has a lot to do with what we're talking about, which is you really didn't bring any purpose to the job that God gave you. There's really no God purpose for you. And you're not bringing that into, into your job. And so therefore you're expecting the job to give you purpose. And you're expecting the job to make you happy. You know, that the job would make me happy and that the tasks would make me happy and that I would enjoy what I'm doing. And listen, we don't always enjoy every single task that's in our job. I'm a pastor. There's certain things about being a pastor that's part of my job description that, you know, quite frankly, there's things that fuel me, right? And there's things that drain me. Nod your head if you're with me, right? Then your job. There's things that fuel you and there's things that drain you. But it really, again, should not change this framework of I have a purpose that I bring to my work and therefore I'm able to have passion. I'm able to have this passion that good thing gets to pour out and, and, and in my job, and I believe it shows up in a couple different areas. But let me go back to this. These are two statements I want you to remember. I want you to remember that purpose directs passion. Okay, purpose directs passion, and then we're going to talk about how it shows up. And I believe it shows up in very practical ways, and excellence, and distinction. All right, but purpose directs passion. Now we have a lot of. We our culture tends to focus on the passion idea. A lot. I mean, every there's so many motivational memes out there on Instagram and Facebook and, you know, posters and cubicles, you know, you're the spark that's going to set the world on fire, you know? I mean, it's just like, you know, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive. And, you know, the world needs you to come alive. Well, listen, if what makes you come alive is money because you're a greedy, selfish pig... Don't do that, right? You know what I'm trying to say. Like, I mean, I understand the heart behind the motivation, but if your passion—if what you know—if your only passion with no purpose, then you're going to find yourself in a problem, right? I mean, if it's greed, if it's idolatry, if it's entitlement, if it's power that drives you, I don't want you working out of that passion. We have enough people in our life working from that passion. No, our our purpose directs our passion, all right? It has to come first. That's one of the reasons we did it, kind spent time on it last week. Our purpose has to direct our passion. When our purpose is clear, that my purpose in life is to know God and to make him known then it doesn't matter the career that I've changed. It doesn't matter the job that I had and now have. It doesn't matter because I bring my purpose to it, and I'm able to give it my all. I'm able to pour myself out into this role, into this field, into this job, because my purpose, the why I do what I do, is is just fueling, makes me come alive for what I'm uniquely gifted for, fueling how I do what I do. And I believe, again, it shows it practically in two different ways. That's where I'm going to spend most of my time today is in excellence and distinction. All right, let's talk about excellence first. Let's just kind of talk about this idea so you can understand where I'm coming from. I'm going to read. We're going to spend a lot of time in Colossians today. I kind of just decided to stay in Colossians since that's where our theme verse is. And Paul spends a great deal of time giving us great practical insight instruction in this letter. To the Church of Colossus. so I'm going to read the message paraphrase. I just like this particular passage the way uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrases uh, uh, um, Colossians 3. But if you want to turn to your your word, your your version, it's Colossians 3:22 through 25. Uh, this is the paraphrase in the message. Okay, it says, "Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters." Right. Very general, very basic. Like you all, we all have bosses. We all have people we're accountable to. We serve, right? So it says, servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters, and don't just do the minimum that will get you by. It goes on to say, do your best. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Let's just face it, and we'll all agree to disagree, or we'll all agree to to. to, to, to guilty of it. I think we all can. Sometimes when you don't give your all, sometimes when you're only giving the minimum required at a job or at your office or in your field, most of the time that's because they don't pay you enough to give your all, right? Or they don't recognize you, right? You're not being recognized. You're not being acknowledged. You're not being celebrated or rewarded, and so you, you kind of hold back. There really is no reason for you to pour yourself out. There really is no reason from your job's perspective to give your all. And yet here's Paul say, look, I'm just telling you, you need to do it because you actually have a master. You actually have a real boss who is God, and he is going to make sure that you are recognized for every single thing you do. Matter of fact, in the NIV and the NLT, it says, don't just work when your boss is looking, Right? Don't, don't just do, and hey, we've all been there, right? We've all had to turn Hulu off when somebody walks by, you know. We've all had to change the browser because we were shopping on Amazon. We should have been looking something up. We've all, we all had that moment where we're where we maybe not, not really fulfilling our time the way we could and should. But here's Paul saying, no, I want you to do your best. You have a purpose. You have someone you're doing this for. And you're going to be recognized, However, in light of that, it says, keep in mind always, no keep going back, that's the rest of the verse, keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. So he's reminding them that again. But watch this. He says, the sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. So not only will we be recognized, I believe, for, for even all some of the things that we don't get currently recognized for if we're giving it our all, but the shoddy, the shoddy work that's done by a sullen servant will be held responsible. You're also going to be held accountable. And then it goes on to say, being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Can I get an amen from anybody, right? Yeah. Being a follower of Jesus does not cover up bad work. Excellence should be our standard. Right? Excellence should be our standard. If we claim to be followers of Christ in the workplace, and we know we have a purpose, and that purpose is directing and fueling our passion, then excellence is the only thing we're shooting for. Okay, And not because your boss deserves excellence, not because your company deserves excellence, not because your clients deserve excellence, but because you have a master, and he sees all that you do, and he wants you to give it all. He wants you to do it all for the glory of God. He wants you to give it all. He wants you to pour it out. Now, there's a great essay. It's actually more of a thesis written to the church. Uh, Back in 1942, I believe, her name is Dorothy Sayers. She was a playwright, And she wrote this thesis to the church, again, having a conversation with the church about this whole idea of sacred work and secular work and kind of how the church has messed that up and not really shown the value of importance of how God's kind of impassionately given us the purpose of work in our life. And I want to just pull a couple of, it's about a 30-minute read if you want to read the whole thing. I'll, I'll give you the title. It's called Why Work, okay, Why Work by Dorothy Sayers. I just want to pull a few of her statements out that I really find enlightening. She said, I have already on previous occasions spoken at some length on the subject of work and vocation. And what I urged then was a thoroughgoing revolution in our whole attitude to work. It says, I ask that it should be looked upon not as necessary drudgery to be undergone for the purpose of making money. (laughs) Funny, that's 1942, right? Not any different today. But see it as a way of life in which the nature of man should find its proper exercise and delight and so fulfill itself to the glory of God. But that's, that's how we can view our work. Now she goes on to say that it should in fact be thought of as a creative activity undertaken for the love of the work itself and that man, made in God's image, should make things as God makes them for the sake of doing well a thing that is well worth doing, right? For the sake of doing well, the thing is well worth doing. We want to to do it the way God would do it. We're made in his image. I love it a little bit later on, a little bit later on, I wanted to make sure you saw this. A little bit later on, she actually has this stamp at the end of a paragraph, which I love, and she basically says, hey, the only Christian work is good work well done. That's what Christian work is, and what I really do believe when you read Colossians and when you read Colossians 3:17 and you you get this bigger picture of your purpose and your passion and how free you are to kind of pursue those things as long as they're directed by your purpose. I really do believe that there are many 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 people in nonprofits and in ministry that are not doing very good Christian work. Cuz it's not with excellence. Yet there are lawyers and there are bond traders and there are administrative assistants and there are bank tellers that are doing incredible Christian work because they're giving it their all, because they are pouring themselves out, because they understand the purpose in their life, and they're allowing that passion to be directed by it, and they know they're uniquely gifted for it, and it makes them come alive to be able to do that work and to do that work well. Now, let me just help clarify Excellence is not perfection, okay? Excellence is not perfection by your standard, and excellence is not necessarily perfection by your boss or your company's standard. Excellence is my very best effort. This is a phrase we use here at Journey. Excellence is my very best effort. And the reason I like this particular you know, understanding of excellence is that it goes back to that Colossians 3, 22 through 25 paragraph that says, you know, you're going to do this for him. You're, you're not going to just do it when someone else is looking, but you're going to be recognized by him and you're going to be held accountable to him. And you know, who, you know who, who knows if something is your very best effort? Do you know who's aware of whether when you do your work and whether you pour yourself into your job, do you know who's kind of aware of whether it's your best effort or not? Well, you are, and he is. Oh, your very be- that best effort may be something your boss doesn't like, or your very best effort may not work itself out into the sale you want to make it thing. Your very best effort on, the, on a theory that you're running with may be absolutely wrong, and you may have to pivot and switch and, and change something that you're doing for your job. So I'm not saying the outcome is always again. It's not perfection, and it's not always outcome-driven. I'm telling you that when you have excellence as a standard because your purpose is directing your passion and you are pouring all that you have into what you do, you know if it's your best effort. And he knows if it's your best effort. And the other side of this coin, I wanna hit it briefly and and then move on, is that, you know, honestly, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, to name yourself a Christian, to sort of try to put that mark on yourself, this is not something that was done. The, even in fact, the, the, the name, the, the phrase Christian, the label of being a Christian was given to Christians by outsiders. Okay? And initially it was kind of a sarcastic thing, and then basically they embraced it and said, no, if they want to call us Christ like, we will be Christ like because we are followers of the way. We are disciples of Jesus. And, and the truth is, is that, I, and this is just me, I'm going to challenge you here just for a minute. If you are working without passion if you are not allowing this purpose and this passion to reframe your work and how you approach things and yet you're trying to be a witness at your job I don't care how many scriptures are on the bottom of your email or you know the Jesus loves you mug in your cubicle and you know you know the the, the just I mean I I don't think any of that is gonna matter if you're phoning in your job and you're doing it with just a selfless, sullen, you know, frustrated, bitter employee just like everybody else. Who wants to know your God? Who wants to know that God? Like who wants to know, who wants to know your savior that you claim to love and follow? If you approach work in such a way that just looks like everybody else and everybody else who's in it for themselves and everybody else who's, who's just driven by this idea of just getting to the paycheck, is that, is that really even a, a, a God somebody wants to get to know? But what happens when you strive for excellence, when you allow the purpose to know him and to make him known, to fuel the passion of your life so that you can pursue and be unleashed by God to do all that he has called you to do. And because of that, regardless of whether it's the position you want to be in or the position you feel like you should be in or you're getting acknowledged by the people you should be acknowledged by, but yet because you have been given the opportunity, you give it all to the opportunity. You give it all to the job at hand. And people see excellence from you not because it's perfect, not because it works out every time, because when somebody sees you, they look at someone who's given their absolute very best always. And then when they want to know what makes you different, what makes you do that, what makes you respond in that way, well, then you have an opportunity to tell them who your God is. I think our passion shows up in excellence, but I also think it shows up in distinction. And this is one of the ways I want to give you that. One of the stories I love is the story of Daniel in the Old Testament. Now, the, thing, the reason I like the story of Daniel is because Daniel is pretty famous in terms of even just Bible stories. If you grew up in any type of church in Sunday school, you know the lion's den, you know the dreams, you know, you, you may know Shadmach, Meshach, Abednego, you may know, you know, the time in which uh, the, the, the king wanted them to eat from the king's table, and they said, no, we want to eat twigs and berries and all that stuff, you know, we don't want to eat that, we want to eat this, say, measure us for 10 days and let us, do. like, we get the highlight reel sometimes of, of Daniel's, you know, things we know Daniel for, but what we don't usually understand is that Daniel wasn't. A slave who was brought into Babylon. Okay, Daniel was a slave brought into Babylon. This is not anything that he was even choosing to do for himself. And he was placed in the regiment and he was placed into positions of work, and he worked with all he had to serve the king that he was under. I mean, he he lived out that verse in, in, in Colossians 3, where it says, slave, servant, you do what your earthly master says. He was a perfect example of this. As a matter of fact, you, you read a little bit later on in Daniel, you see that he, he was not only known for the quality of work that he did, but he was just known himself as a man of unbelievable character. And he made his mark, because not just because of the work he did, but who he was. Matter of fact, I'll, this is not on the screen, but let me just read it. This is part of Daniel 6. This is part of the story, this right before the the lion's den, where it says Daniel Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional work that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. But at this, the the other administrators and the satraps, they tried to find grounds and charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. It says they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Isn't that amazing? Those are not some of the things we usually focus on when it comes to Daniel. That, he was, that even as a slave, even as a slave who was given these positions of power, that he, he was distinct. He had a mark. He had, a, he, had a, he had something about him that set him apart. And it wasn't just the excellence. It wasn't just his very best effort. It wasn't just the quality of his work, but it was who he was. And who we are, as followers of Christ, we are new creatures, right? Paul says it this way in, in 2 Corinthians, um, Corinthians. It says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, right? The old life is gone, and a new life has begun, he goes on to say all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. Right? We are new creations. That's the part of knowing God. That's the part of our purpose. We get to know God. But we also need to make him known. We are given the task of reconciling people to him. That's part of why we were given a new, crea- why we were given a new body, a new person, a new creation to lean into. And so we're not just going to be excellent at all that we do, we're going to be distinct. We're going to be set apart in the workplace. We're going to be set apart by who we are. And we've been gifted guys, I'm, this is just I'm going to talk about this for just a minute, but we've been gifted, right? F- on purpose, for a purpose. If you've been around me, you know this is a statement that I love because I really do believe that God, through his Holy Spirit, has, has just empowered you as he dwells you. He has given you gifts. He has given you gifts to show up in your life and to be used and exercised in your life. And he, gave, he wasn't random. He gave it to you on purpose for purpose, for the greater purpose of our lives, which includes our work. It includes our work. Now, when we talk about this sometimes, I'm going to give you the bigger, broader um, uh, thing just for you to see it, and then I'm going to talk just about spiritual gifts, but we sometimes use this, um, uh, it's not an acronym, it's acrostic, sometimes we use this acrostic that spells out the word shape, okay? And we talk about this is the shape of you, this is kind of a lot of different ways in which God kind of makes you unique, makes you, there's no one else like you, right, He makes you unique by the shape of you, and part of that's your spiritual giftedness. Part of that's your spiritual gifts. Some of that is your heart. You you just happen to love things that are different than what I love, you know? You love certain tasks that I don't love, and I love certain things that you don't love. There's an aptitude, which is a talent. There is aptitude, talent, capacity that God has given you, there's a personality. And if you haven't been a part of Growth Track and heard Don kind of talk about the Enneagram and some of the, the way you're wired and the way God sort of made you, why you view things the way you view things, that's a part of the uniqueness of who you are in terms of the shape of you. And then there's your experiences, right? You had different experiences growing up in different ages and different times than I had experiences growing up. So there's life experiences, all these things that make you unique. Now, you've been uniquely gifted on purpose, for a purpose, to do all that God's called you to do. Now, the reason I want to talk about spiritual gifts is because First Peter says it this way, that God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. So use them, right? Use them well to serve one another. Now, when I talk to people about spiritual gifts, sometimes, I get into an interesting conversation where people talk about the expectations or maybe the past history of how they saw spiritual gifts used and how they expect it kind of to be used in their life. And and sometimes when I have those conversations, I can tell most of the context for spiritual gifts or your spiritual gifting has everything to do with ministry and with church, has everything to do with the with the context of ministry teams or the context of church itself, whether it's a corporate gathering or or, or the church, right? And sometimes I, I wonder, and I, I wonder it, and then I ask it, I ask it nicer than this, but I oftentimes wonder like, do you really believe, do you honestly believe that the that, that God, like the God of the universe, who created everything and part of the sea and brings dead people, back to life, that this God, through his Holy Spirit in you, has poured out his power into your life for an hour a week? <laughs> really? Or for a couple of hours during the week for your, for your ministry time? No. No, that's not what he's gifted you for. And that's not the only reason that you have been spiritually gifted, that this power of God has supernaturally put something in you to be used in your life. And most people, you know, sometimes as adults, they came to Christ later in their life, they didn't grow up in church, and they never heard about spiritual gifts. And all of a sudden, like, we went through growth track, and people are like, oh, this is my spiritual gifts. Well, don't be surprised when one of your spiritual gifts is mercy that you happen to be a counselor, Right? Don't be surprised by that because that's how he gifted you. Don't be surprised when you're able to listen, you've had jobs and you've been able to organize the snot out of anything and everything that's ever come your way. You get a mess and it comes back pristine. And then you go look at your spiritual gifts. Oh, leadership and organization happen to be on there. Don't be surprised by that. You've been gifted. That's how God has gifted you, and not just the fullness of the shape of you that helps you be unique and bring that part of your passion to the workforce, but God has given you a gift, and those spiritual gifts are not just. They're not only. You know, the gift of leadership isn't only so you can lead a small group and lead a team at your church, but you can cast vision, and you can lead employees, and you can lead your company, and you can lead your teams all week long. God's given you the gift of, of mercy, not so that you can, you know, with your small group, you know, that extra grace required person, you know, that, you're, that you always seem to sit beside. And if you don't know who that is, that's probably you, right? It's not just for that. It's so that when you're dealing with clients and you're dealing with coworkers, and dealing, that your gift of mercy comes in such a way that you have empathy that no one else can have, and you're able to care to a degree and support them to a degree that maybe no one else is equipped to do. That your gift of, listen, that your gift of prophecy, right, isn't just so that you can go to another Christian and give them a word from God, right? That's not just what your gift of prophecy, gift of prophecy emboldens you to speak truth, to speak the truth of God to people, and that is needed all week long, right? You know, I love the one that discern, the gift of the discerning of spirits, right? The gift of the discerning of spirits, which we call discernment, that gift isn't only so that you can figure out what the person in tongues is trying to say to the person interpreting tongues and make sure that all that is actually happening the way God wants it to happen. Romans 14, go read it, right? No, the gift of discerning spirits is so that when you're on a sales call and you hear what's happening going on, that everybody else is listening to what's on the surface, but you're able to go, that is a spirit of fear driving that conversation. That is a spirit of greed driving that conversation. And then you get to speak up and say, you know what, guys? I don't think we should respond in fear that's what that gift of discernment can do. So you've been gifted. You've been gifted for your work. And that power comes into the passion of your life so that you understand that God has given that to you on purpose for a purpose so you can live that out and show it in everything that you do. And it's not always just going to be, and I wanted to spend the time on just gifting, but it's also your character. And that's a big part of Daniel's story too, is it just the character of your life. He says, listen, talents and gifts and ambition will often create opportunities. They will create success, but character is what sustains it. Okay? Character is what sustains that place. Your talent, your ambition, your, your grit and your drive might create an opportunity, but character is what keeps you there. And again, going back to some of that that passage in Corinthians, we're going to go back to Colossians 3, but that idea of being a new life, of being a new person, this is where he says, since you've been raised to, to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. It says, you've put to death, or so put to death, the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality and impurity and lusts and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. It goes on. It says, get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander and dirty <laughs> language. And Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and its wicked deeds. Right? What? You're going to put on your new nature and be, what's the word? Be renewed, transformed, as you learn to know your creator and become like him. It says, in this new life, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. So he goes on to say, look, it doesn't matter the identity you you tend to, to lean towards. It doesn't matter your old nature, because let me just tell you, most of our workplaces leans towards our old nature. Most of the workplace, the culture that we have leans towards some things that are in our old nature to have those things come alive. And he says, no, you are a new creature. You are a new life. You've been reborn. You're being renewed. So you're going to take off those things and not engage those things, but instead you're going to become more and more like him because he is all that matters. And one of the ways this shows up in terms of distinction, one of the ways that this shows up in your life that marks you and sets you apart is your character, whether you're really putting those things off and whether you're putting Christ on, you know? Whether you're going to choose every day, tomorrow when you go back to work, whether that opportunity that comes up where you can slander one of your coworkers or or, or slander a a competitor comes up. Whether, you know, you're going to go in and that person that just gets under your skin is going to create some anger in you and you're you're just not going to be able to handle it you know whether it's lying whether it's sexual impurity it doesn't matter like even just the don't lie to each other how how important would that be in the workplace you know we're not going to lie here okay i'm not going to exaggerate sales numbers right i'm not going to omit truth right by telling you only the good news and not the bad news i'm not going to blow smoke in this area to try to distract you from an area that needs work that's all lying like like i'm not going to lie about when things are going to be shipped from this company, let me be honest. How much? Listen, just from that alone, how much of that would set you apart? Now, if your boss didn't like it, they might fire you. I can't tell you that won't happen, <laughs> right? But God will take care of you. What would happen if that's the if as you as your purpose, directs your passion as you understand what you are uniquely gifted for and what makes you come alive and God wants you to just be unleashed into that. He is, by his power of spirit, just poured his power into you through your giftedness, through the fact that you're going to give it all. You're going to lay it all on the table. You're going to leave nothing behind. You're going to do your work with excellence. You're going to give it your very best effort. And then your character is going to sustain the opportunities that come your way. What happens when that marks you? And then when you go up the corporate ladder, when an opportunity comes up and people see you continually maybe begin to be recognized and do some of the things that, and and maybe God just creates the path for you to continue to move up. You're not just going to have a difference that you're going to make in the place that you are now of knowing him and making him known to the people around you. But the more power and influence he actually gives you, you're going to need the character. You're going to need the new nature of God to keep you there. You're going to need the power of God in your life and the passion that you're pouring out to keep you in that opportunity and to help you continue to grow. I mean, you know, your ambition can drive success, and all people might see is just another selfish, self-centered, power-driven, greedy employee Climbing the corporate ladder, doing anything they can do and all they have to do to make it. Or are they going to see you, right? Not just with your Jesus loves you mug, because I don't like—I'm I'm not against those, right? But they're going to see you as someone who had a purpose for their life, and they were passionate. I mean, they were passionate about their field, about their job, and it showed up in all that they did because they—they they kind of—they kind of—a kind of attacked everything with the with a standard of excellence. Whether it worked out or not, they were going to give it their all. And they they had an understanding of how they were wired and how they were made and what they were good at and what they weren't good at and brought people around them and they weren't insecure because they understood how they were uniquely gifted by God to serve in such a way that would make it work. And their character was above reproach. I love that Daniel passage where he says, they couldn't find a single issue wrong with him in government affairs, and he wasn't negligent, and he didn't do anything wrong. Could that be said of you and me? Could that be said of us in our work? Here's the last thought, and we'll, we'll pray. How we do what we do reveals who and whose we are. Okay? That's what I want you to remember about your passion. I want your passion you know, directed by your purpose. But how we do what we do really does reveal who we are on the inside. It reveals our character. It reveals if we're insecure. It reveals if we're driven by fear and greed. It reveals what our passion is fueled by. But it also reveals whose we are. It reveals who we belong to. Because we can say all day long, we can tip our hat, you know, all to the glory of God. You know, we we can do that every once in a while if we get the opportunity. But I'm telling you, your actions will speak louder than words. The way you make people feel and the, way, the mark you leave in your company because of who you are is going to show people whose you are, who you belong to. Not just the person you claim to belong to, but they're going to see it through excellence and distinction. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful. God, just continue to encourage us and challenge us Encourage us in the areas of our work where we we really have, you know, kind of poured it out and we have trusted you and maybe for several of us, we're, we're already aligned in a job that allows us to really live out our purpose and passionately pursue that. Challenge us in the areas that we need to grow. God, for those of us that, golly, passion is not a word we would ever use to describe what we do for a living. God, I pray that you would just Just help them work through why that is. Help them work through if it's the wrong job, if it's the wrong culture. Help them work through the transition that may or may not need to happen. But God, more than anything, maybe just help them reframe how they view their work. That they have a greater purpose to know you and to make you known. And that they bring that purpose to their work and allow them to be able to pour themselves out and and, and have that passion in them to want to do what you've called them to do, that they're working for you in all that they do. God, may excellence be our standard, and may may we be just marked and distinct and set apart in our jobs. Not for our glory, God, not for the spotlight to shine on us, but for God, for the spotlight to shine on you. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.